You're listening to the Digital Communicators Podcast, helping comms professionals stay one step ahead of all things digital and social media. Here are your hosts, Amanda, Raj, Mark, and Tim. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you again, and uh, hopefully you're really going to get something out of this episode. We are talking TikTok and the banning of here in Australia and other parts of the world as well. Um, Not something we want to hear, obviously, because TikTok is such a progressive platform to many, uh, but it really has an impact uh, to those communicators who are using it across government in particular. I'm with Roger and Amanda. What are our initial thoughts, Roger? Well, it's it's an interesting one, Mark. I think if I was someone who had, just hypothetically, let's play a little scenario out here. If I was someone who was sitting in the chair uh, running social media for um, you know an organisation, whatever that may be, whatever sector you're in, and I've just woken up to news that TikTok has been banned in in this country from a individual device perspective for public servants, uh, what am I thinking? And if I, for example, just gone down the road of uh, making the case to my internal team, my, my leaders, saying that we need to use TikTok because it's a way to engage a younger audience, it's a, it's a new opportunity to form a stronger connection, stronger affinity, all those sorts of things, those proof points or value points that people talk about with TikTok. If I've just gone and done all that and then I wake up to this news and all of a sudden it's like, whoop, there goes the rug and suddenly I've got to work out what do I do? I think that's... That's the kind of um, the person that I'm thinking of as we have this conversation is what do they do? What are they thinking? How can they kind of um, not, it's not damage control because it's nothing that they've done, but I just think that the effort and all that that would have gone into those sorts of conversations and planning, when we operate on rented land, these scenarios do come up. So that's for me, Mark, that's kind of my immediate response is, how do we help that sort of person who might have those questions and be thinking those sorts of things today? I reckon we'll drill down into that a little bit uh, in a minute. Amanda? Yeah, it's a really interesting um, move. It's one that's not entirely surprising. It's been kind of written about and spoken about for a little while now um, that the government was looking at potentially making that move. Um, it does throw a spanner in the works for digital communicators that sort of rely on TikTok as a key channel. Um, And there are some ways to, um, I guess in practical terms, kind of keep accessing the platform and and do what you need to do. But, you know, there've been flow on decisions that kind of further impact people's communication strategies. So following the federal government announcement, um, the Victorian government followed suit uh, and also said that it it wouldn't be using um, TikTok and, you know, Daniel Andrews with 100,000 plus followers decided to close his account. Um, so, you know, for, for the team kind of looking after social media for um, the Victorian government, it, it has sort of made a change. So, um, yeah, it's t- for me, it takes sort of flexibility and adaptability to the next level <laughs> when we have to respond so quickly to these key changes. But, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, I, I've been a great advocate of Daniel Andrews' uh, TikTok account, actually. I think he was very early on board with it and did some great stuff on it. Um, so, you know, I'm sure he probably deep down thinks what a shame too because um, it was working for him as a, as a tool. For me, I think... I did, uh, I did see, well, just just I did see, um, sorry, Mark, a, a key. So um, a couple of politicians in the federal government decide that they would keep their accounts. And so it's an interesting decision. Um 
uh, I think one of the federal ministers, um, Tanya Plibersek, said she'd keep hers just simply because um, the, the younger demographic is a key one for her and in her electorate, I think, and and just the need to be able to keep connecting with that audience. And so I do think it's good that there's room in there for people to make decisions based on what their audience needs and their communication needs. And I think that needs to remain a central focus is, you know, um, there are these rules for a reason, but um, how can we keep connecting with the people that we need to? So that was an interesting kind of counter Mm. decision. Yeah. uh, It's not just TikTok, um, but I feel like social media has been at the crossroads for some time now. Um, And uh, again, uh, from a from a business point of view or from a government point of view, it's about charting the next territory, really, you know, what we can and can't do. Because there are implications around this for, for lots of people. I know of uh, certain government organisations that are using WeChat, for example, um, to communicate with the Chinese community here in Victoria. And it's not sanctioned. It's not in the social media policy and what have you, but they're doing it because that's the only way that they can get to certain people. So what are the implications for people doing that? You know, and uh, is there potential data and privacy breaches around that as well? So they're the sorts of things I think people are going to have to start thinking about. But um, yeah, so where we head with social media is difficult. Now, we all know it evolves and changes on a regular basis, and that's part of the deal. Um, so I think that we need to think, what is the future? What are the trends, Amanda? That's a, a really good challenge that you point out um, about kind of charting new territory. And I think TikTok was that for a long time. And, um, you know, there are also, you know, and certainly WeChat is one, but it also kind of harks back to the early days of using social media as sort of formal communication channels for organisations or government where, you know, it was sort of go and stake your claim, um, you know, get your accounts on there, have a presence and start to use it before really your organisational policies could um, catch up. There was a bit of kind of a grey area. And I think that working in kind of that leading um, technology and communication space, that's always going to be a bit of a factor. And, and um, you know, as individuals and, and communication teams, we do sort of accept a bit of risk, I think, in that area. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise about WeChat. I think there's also, there's a kind of early mover advantage too, isn't there, Amanda? So if you're, if you're someone who's looking, um, you know, ideally driven by audience and, and driven by um, your goals and objectives, but if, if you're looking at a platform like TikTok as an example, and you're going, well, hang on, here's an opportunity for us to engage a younger audience and to, to be seen, um, <clears throat> to understand that audience uh, importantly and understand what's going on in their lives. If you've made that early move, Often there's an early mover advantage where the platforms reward you for that because they're trying to get mass adoption. They're trying to get people on board. And so that point around risk, it's kind of like, well, if we do give this a crack and we do dive in and, and, you know, with eyes open, but we give it a go, um, hopefully we're going to benefit from that. But again, we come back to the point that these channels exist outside the control of the organization, whoever it is. And these are commercial entities that are, that they have their own agenda. They have their own priorities. They have their own often shareholders that they're there to meet. And so their growth targets and and their usage numbers and all that sort of stuff and the decisions they make around the algorithms and the way the platforms work are based on things outside you as the user um, of that platform. And I think that's just a a reality, as you're saying, Mark, in terms of those crossroads. That's a reality that people need to be fully aware of when they go and invest in this. And And I also imagine it's probably, you know, for the naysayers who've been sitting there going, I told you we should have just stuck to our website. 
we control our website. We control everything that goes up and when it goes up, you know, it's kind of ammunition for them to say, look, just another example. You know, it was MySpace a little while ago now that, that, that bit the dust and, and sorry to all those people who invested heavily in that. And now we're seeing through, you know, um, a government decision, the same thing happening to a new and emerging channel. It's kind of like just a really clear reminder that you are not in control. And, and for the record, I should say, no, don't revert to your websites because the reality of social media is it's very much embedded in our psyche and in our behaviours and that's where people go. And that builds, I think, nicely on Mark's point about, you know, social social media crossroads. And, you know, I think um, it's, it's really well established now and, and, you know, such a central part of our lives that um, it's going to exist in some form, but the way that it evolves based on people and community standards and expectations is so interesting to me. You know, these changes um, will have an impact on TikTok use um, in Australia. It, it will have a change on the amount and types of content that can be produced and who the content producers are. And that's just from a practical um, perspective. So, you know, and I've, I've read things about um, people working within government or certain organisations, you know, just having to have two phones because you can't have TikTok on your main phone if that's where you do your work. And so, you know, like that's a that's just a daily, um, you know, annoying change for people to have to manage if that's not how they want to operate. So I think it does have a, an impact, but it, it's quite amazing to me that, um, you know, a platform with I think 1.8 billion users worldwide can be sort of at a point where it needs to really assess um, what it's doing in terms of its data and privacy protection. And, and I think it's going to come to a point where um, there'll need to be some deliberate decisions about that. Either it continues as it is and um, other international governments make choices about, um, you know, whether or not they're able to use it. Or, you know, they make changes that bring it into line with community standards. And there have been a couple of big um, examples in the UK and US in the last, well, one very recently in the UK and then a couple of years ago in the US of, you know, millions of dollars worth of fines for um, data breaches around access and use of um, children's data without parental permission. And, um, you know, given that it was launched as a platform that really aimed at targeting younger people, um, you know, they need to do a bit more around um, protecting the data of the young people that, it, you know, it's collecting. So um, I think something for people using it as an official communication channel to consider is, you know, what are the privacy implications for the users who are accessing your content? So how do you, how do you then, like if I'm sitting in that chair again as the person who's the, the, the digital communications lead here, how do you do that? How do you... Um, know enough about these platforms? How do you know enough about their privacy policies? How do you know enough about what they might be doing, not just in this market, but globally? Um, that example is a wonderful one of, you know, uh, the use of children's data um, and, and the implications of that, the ethical implications of that, let alone the privacy ones. So how do you, what questions are you asking? And where are you going to find this information? Because that's gnarly. Like you're trying to, you're trying to run a campaign, for example, you're trying to make the case internally, you're trying to run a campaign off the back of that. How are you also becoming overnight a kind of legal and privacy policy expert and, and keeping your eyes and ears to the ground on all this stuff? Because that's a, that's a big task. I think it's becoming increasingly difficult, Roger. Um, you know, uh, over the years, 
I've created relationships with Meta and Twitter, you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationships and what have you, that you could actually turn to people and sort things out and what have you. Uh, you can still do that to a certain extent with Meta, but when you're dealing with a, a company like TikTok, and I know it has an Australian CEO that you could probably get, get in contact with, but it's much bigger than that. And I think it's really interesting that the, the Australian CEO up until this point has come out and said, provide us some evidence around uh, around these data breaches, give us some evidence and what have you. And I'm sure that there's probably a lot of people listening to this at the moment um, who are maybe, uh, you know, asking the same question, you know, well, if we, we uh, have to get off this platform, I want to know why, you know, give us some strong evidence that we are, that, that data is being breached and what have you. And I think it's a fair question. So, but, but to respond further to your question, how do you get to these people? As I say, I think it's becoming more and more difficult. Um, so I'm not sure that I can actually provide an answer around that, but I think you still need to be, link in with our Australian networks, uh, be in touch with them, uh, talk as much and get as much evidence from them as you possibly can. Yeah, I think that's um, a great point, Mark. And, you know, um, to their credit, the social media um, companies that sort of have a presence within Australia, I think have been pretty proactive about reaching out to practitioners to make sure that they're making those connections. I think, you know, um, depending on the severity of the topic or kind of the strategic nature of a topic, I think they are really available to build those relationships, which is good. Um, I think it is challenging for busy social media people to keep across these changes, but we sort of do naturally because it's our area of interest. And, um, you know, uh, I think it is part of the job description to keep across um, changes in the industry to understand the platforms that you're working with, not just at the level of, you know, how do I post something and create content, um, but, you know, looking at the algorithms, looking at audiences, looking at privacy policies. I think that you just need to have an understanding of what you're working with. Now, you know, we're not lawyers, maybe um, some of our listeners that are digital communicators, um, you know, have that background as well. And if they do, that's, um, fabulous, they'll be better placed to kind of uh, understand some of this stuff as well. But a lot of organisations have access to um, a, a legal team or a legal contact that can also assist. I think if you're not sure, or if you're seeing media that that kind of is a bit worrying, it's about having discussions to kind of plan and manage risk for your organisation. So I was reading in some of the media coverage about um, you know, even outside of this announcement about using TikTok on government issued devices that other organisations like the Commonwealth Bank in Australia had sort of already decided that it wouldn't um, use TikTok as one of its official social media channels. And it's, um, you know, because of those kind of data concerns. And so, um, you know, staff kind of don't have access to that on their, on their, um, work devices and so I think organizations outside of these um, uh, you know government requirements will also make decisions that are, are best for them and, and as digital communicators we need to be ready with information to make the right recommendations. So what I'm hearing through that Amanda and maybe uh, maybe this is an overreach but we're talking about this or I certainly started this conversation looking at the decision around TikTok as a uh, a risk, maybe a threat's a bit of a strong word, but it's something that's going to impact the work that these digital communications leads are doing. 
could you argue in one way that maybe this is a bit of an opportunity as well? And I feel like your point around legal, no, we're not legal experts. And for the record, if there are people listening who are, you know, do have that legal background, I'd love to hear from you. Please do do drop us a note and, and share your point of view around how the kind of communications. <laughs> yes, and, yeah, simply. It's always fascinating <laughs> yes, to hear it. But I, I think that, you know, if I'm putting the kind of glasses half full angle on this, there's an opportunity here because with any of these sorts of meaty issues, and this is everywhere, right? This The idea of TikTok being banned is everywhere in terms of visibility, in terms of a burning platform, in terms of people who are unfamiliar, uncertain, and you know, TikTok's always been this mysterious um, application. If they're there going, you know, what what does this all mean? This is an opportunity for someone in that chair to stand up and say, well, look, I have a perspective on this. Not to try and be the the kind of interim legal expert. No, stay in your lane. But people are looking to you for advice. And if you understand this environment, it's a great way to kind of start conversations with key stakeholders across your organization, build those bridges now and capitalize on those or leverage those in the future when you need to make um, or influence decisions yourself. They're good points. Raj, really good points. I'm going to go left to field just a little bit, um, and this might help uh, in the descriptor of all this and what have you. So um, you probably read that, uh, that Italy is putting a ban on, on chat GPT. Um, I posted that on my LinkedIn profile <clears throat> yesterday and what have you. Um, I have subsequently spoken with uh, my contacts at Microsoft because I've been looking at chat GPT as opportunities in, in the government uh, environment and what have you. Now they're looking at chat, the same sort of uh, chat GPT internally for organisations, but within the tenant of the Microsoft platform. So it doesn't come, it's the same sort of process as the open AI, if you like, but it's managed within your own tenant. So it reduces all the risk that you have. Um, so the, the only reason I'm saying this is that if you're able to connect with the organisations that, that um, are associated with these social media platforms, you may get a better insight into how they're operating and what they're doing. So it can alleviate some of the stress and, and the processes that, that, that you might have. Yes, Rob. I think, well, I think the, the challenge with that for me, Mark, is I totally agree with you, obviously. If you've got walls around your place, it's obviously a safer place to be. So I get that entirely. I think the challenge with what we're looking at through TikTok and what we're looking at through the kind of um, what we all refer to as the social network effect, how things can spread beyond boundaries and how things can take a life of their own and, and you can actually get attention and awareness from people who you didn't even know were listening, like those, the positive side of that virality of social media. In that context, it is really tricky because I totally get the efficiency gains and the intelligence gains and all that sort of stuff around having things internal. But when we're looking at a platform like TikTok or apply this to LinkedIn or apply this to Twitter or apply this to Facebook or Insta, the external world of social media, it's so hard because you've got these competing tensions of, as Amanda was saying before, use of these things for the purposes of, you know, not not to dumb it down that much, but reach and awareness, if that's what we're going for, with an external audience competing with the tension of, well, yeah, but we're, you know, we're essentially at the mercy of a third party platform who has its own commercial interests. I think um, just as we've been talking, you know, I've sort of been thinking like, what is the what next for mm. people who are, you know, working in this space and, you know, kind of have these changes imposed upon them, but you know, then I was also reflecting on the fact that um, this is just kind of 
standard for people that work in social media teams. And I was really thinking that like social media managers are kind of like the MacGyver of communications where (laughs) they're used to having to, they're used to having to kind of use, you know, uh, a crazy internet dongle and some laptop that they've uncovered from a drawer in order to access these platforms and get their jobs done, you know, outside of corporate networks. And so, you know, I think that this is a big change for, um, you know, that, that is worth talking about today, but also it's kind of like what is old is, is new again. And that, that these kind of access issues and, and um, you know, fears about social media platforms on corporate, um, you know, uh, within corporate IT systems, you know, have, has always been a worry. And so I do think, though, it's worth as, as a team working out, like, how are you going to practically manage access so that you can monitor and publish content? And I don't think that, it, well, often we rely upon Um, individuals and teams to, you know, use their own mobile phone to do all of this work um, outside of hours and, you know, use their own internet, their own data. And so, um, you know, I think it's worth reflecting as a team, how do we support people to do the jobs that we need them to do and give them those tools? If, if we're banning one thing, um, how are we enabling them, um, you know, on the other side? I, I do think within that, uh, I love the MacGyver reference, by the way. So sh- we've, we've talked about Taylor Swift on this show before, and now we're talking <laughs> about Richard Dean Anderson. So shout out to Richard if you're listening. Huge fan. Love the paper clips. But I, I think, Amanda, the, I think we also need to respect within that context is, um, you know, compared to, and I, I, I do agree with you, what's old is new again. But I think that there is a change here in terms of the mindset and the mood around cybersecurity. And I think that that is a really, really important consideration for any communications practitioner right now, because if you go in with the same message that you may have done, which is, you know, I'll remember when Facebook was a free environment and now it's pay to play and now that's changed dramatically. And now it's all these other things and so on over the past 10, 15 years, it isn't the same environment that you're having that conversation within your organizations, particularly those that are sitting at the executive level, those that are sitting around the boardroom table, they are going to be coming at this with increased scrutiny and saying, yeah, but did you see what happened to, you know, Optus, Medibank, Latitude, all these different organizations? Have you seen that? Because um, if that's the case, then I'm not sure I want my data going over to a third party platform that has, you know, question marks on its behavior, whether or not, as you were saying before, Mark, things have been, you know, there is concrete evidence. I think the, the kind of the mood, the appetite for that sort of thing is probably, um, you know, much, much lower than it has been before. So I just think it's worth worth saying, I agree with you. We've got to work out how to enable these teams and teams themselves need to remember that there is a different stakeholder and that stakeholder, maybe not different stakeholder, the same stakeholder with a very different mindset today. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be much harder to sell anything new or um, even say to your executive team, I want to continue this, I'm happy to do it on my mobile phone and what have you. It's going to be much harder to sell any new social media platform, whatever it is that might come up um, to an organisation from here on end. So you've talked about this before on the show and, and we've had many conversations about it, Mark, back in the day when you were looking at Messenger as an application for you to um, to really meet a business need. So it was there was a practical application there. 
if you were making that same case today, based on what's just happened with TikTok, and, and replace Messenger with any application, but if you were going out saying, well, hang on, there is no global best practice here, there is no you know, well-trodden path that I can give you comfort and confidence around, um, we are breaking new ground here. What would the response be? Because I think that's, as you've just described it, that is probably the tension that is now going to face every digital communications practitioner is, not only has my remit around TikTok obviously just gone down the gurgler, but the challenge that I'm going to have and the ongoing challenge I'm going to have as I approach any new idea, any more you know, groundbreaking or challenging or innovative um, campaign, I'm likely to be met with a little bit more scrutiny and people are going to be slightly less receptive. So what, yeah, how do you, given your experience in that space, what changes, what should people be doing differently now as they prepare for that stuff? Do we need more evidence? Do we need, like, what, what, what do we need to kind of make a case? It's so difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's that old adage of fail and fail fast, I guess, but, you know, you don't, by the same token, you don't want all your data out in cyberspace either. Um, it, 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 I think... I think you have to be persuasive. Maybe it's time to actually take stock a little, a little bit for um, for people, social media experts, and say, okay, I've got certain platforms up and running at the moment. How best can I use those at the moment without sort of knocking down the executive door, saying I want to implement a new thing right now? Let the dust settle a little bit. We've done this in the past, you know, um, with, as you indicated, when Facebook decided it was going to become a paid model more so than anything else. Let the dust settle. Use your platforms that are running um, at the moment effectively and then start to slowly chew back at the executive on platforms that might come up. That would be my advice at the moment. And it's about, you know, just building on the practices that you already have, Mark, around like measuring what's working, what's changing and then adapting to that, which is what, you know, um, social media teams do well is just that regular analysis of, how is this performing and how do we need to change it? So I think using evidence is, is critical. And I think building on that too, Amanda, and I know the people listening to this podcast won't be in this cohort, but the kind of because TikTok or because Facebook or because Instagram rationale for why we should be doing something, get rid of it. If there's any legacy thinking around that and well, everyone else is using TikTok, so we should, or the kind of very, um, you know, <laughs> binary argument, because a younger audience is on TikTok, we should be using it. So it's not as simple as that. I think to your point, Amanda, yes, analysis, yes, data, and also what is the genuine business case for any of this stuff? I, I really, like, I, I'm not trying to be overly optimistic or naive, but I do think that there's an opportunity here for people to reset, as you're saying, Mark, look at what they're doing, reset, make sure it's all valuable and, and worthwhile for the organization. As you're saying, Amanda, using data to help you tell that story. And I think hopefully step back, step back out of the weeds of social media just for a moment, elevate things a little bit and try to come at this from a business or organization first perspective. Because if you do that, when things like this happen, you, you'll hopefully have considered the risk implications of any of the, the platforms you're using. You'll have considered the alternatives and you'll come with a much more measured case to a senior leader who then goes, yeah, I can see that you've considered the risks that are involved here. And I'm confident investing in you and your team to use these channels because I feel comfortable that, that you know the space. And I'd say finally, re-engage with your social media policy. Um, look at it, 
uh, refresh it if need be. It's your Bible. It's, it's the thing that you can present to anyone in the organisation to say, this is how we operate, this is how we work at a social media level. So I would advise doing that as well. Do, do you think also, I mean, it's an opportunity to look at how you're using, not just the policy side of it, um, but what the whole conversation is around social media within your organisation and just get a kind of read the room, get a get a gauge on people. Use this as an opportunity to, as you were saying before, Mark, not just to reach out to the platforms themselves and, and make sure you have those relationships. I'm certain there's probably a fair few people at LinkedIn, at Meta, at Twitter, who are probably reaching out proactively to organisations just to appease and implicate people. But make sure you've got those relationships, not just with the platforms, internally, with your people, so get the get the gauge on how they're feeling right now, what their mood is, and I would also argue, you know, groups like ours, go and talk to people within the industry and, and share these concerns, share these questions, share these stories that you have, because everyone's going through it together. And as you said, Amanda, old is new, I get that entirely. There will be war stories, there will be experiences that you can lean on in this scenario to help fast track your learning and to hopefully avoid some gnarly issues. So I think if we kind of take that collaborative approach and that community learning approach, you're only gonna fare better in these sorts of scenarios. Yeah, um, leaning into the communities of practice that exist around social and digital comms is essential during these times, I think, and that's what helps keep you, keeps you across um, changes. But uh, also, I guess, on providing internal advice, it's, um, I think where we can really add value as strategic communication advisors is, you know, preempting that and proactively putting forward that advice and, um, and providing context about what's changing in the environment you know, before questions are asked about it. So rather than having your CEO or senior leaders say, what does this mean for us? It's kind of, I think, being that person that says, I'm tracking this, this is what's changing, and here's our recommended approach. And I think that's where you can take your role as a communication advisor as from kind of, you know, um, holding the fort to one, one of a strategic and trusted advisor. So that that's probably my final advice. So I think we've worked out today that unfortunately, no Tim, and we should have mentioned that right up front too, by the way. We've got, we've got a, a, a sick and sad colleague this morning, which is why there's only three voices on the podcast, but no Tim, no TikTok, but we can still make friends and we can still um, you know, form new relationships across our organisations and, and wider industry. And really, you've talked about strategy, Amanda. It really boils down to social media, TikTok, technology, AI, whatever. It all comes back to strategy and it all comes back to relationships. If you've got these two things, you're going to fare well in any environment. And I just think too often we kind of over-rely on the tech, on the widgets, on the exciting, shiny objects. And we, you know, we kind of forget those fundamental principles of um, doing good work with good people, you're going to fare well. So is that a, is that a good place to wrap us today? Um, and hopefully we've left our listeners with some, you know, some practical advice, but also some thinking around how this might be impacting you and what's, what it's likely to do in the future. But yeah, some practical steps there. The last thing, if I can do a quick shout out, guys, before we wrap up, um, just a reminder to those listening that we do have our very first Inside Social Series event coming up 
Um, this is run as part of the Government Digital Leaders Network, which obviously we're all a part of. Um, the intent here is to have a virtual session, a one-hour session for people to tune in and listen to an industry expert tell their story, something that they're going through. Very excited to have Queensland Government's Larissa McCosh. Shout out to you, Larissa, joining us on the 27th of April. That's a Thursday at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. So plug into that virtually if you can. All the details will be up on LinkedIn. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And looking forward to more conversations on the joys of TikTok and other things. And I just wonder, Rog, whether we could uh, reach out to the CEO of TikTok in Australia to come on and have a chat with us. Mark Bailey, that obligation rests with you. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll leave Amanda to get Richard Dean Anderson on. There you go. There's your challenge, guys. I'll um, I'll reactivate the fan mail. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. If you valued today's conversation, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others. For more details on today's show or to get in touch, head to gdln.card with two rs.co or Google Government Digital Leaders Network. 